I'm Denzel Mohammed, and welcome to Jobmakers. You often hear me say how inherently entrepreneurial most immigrants are. The propensity to take risks, try out something new, dive all in to fix something or find a solution, or to make a better life. That's an immigrant. So I say again, it's no wonder immigrants are more likely to start businesses and create jobs in the United States. For Aki Balog, immigrant from Hungary and co-founder of Market News, which created an artificial intelligence-powered content intelligence and strategy platform, and co-founder of DLC Link, which aims to decentralize Bitcoin, he was an entrepreneur from the start. Moving to the US after fleeing post-communist Hungary, Aki and his family did whatever they could do to survive. And that included a young teen Aki delivering newspapers and phone books, and even starting a computer repair business at 15. Today, Aki is a pioneer in content intelligence technology and has created more than 90 jobs in the past eight years. But he didn't come up with groundbreaking software or build a successful business alone. He had help from a diverse group of collaborators who all together built something great, as you'll discover in this week's Jobmakers Podcast. Aki Balogs, co-founder and president of Market Muse and co-founder and CEO of DLC Link. Welcome to the Jobmakers Podcast. How are you? You're great. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about your two companies. Yeah, absolutely. So Market Muse, I founded eight years ago. And the goal was, in the beginning, was to found a, um, to build an AI application that actually uses you know, large amounts of data and does something that is beneficial to society, like you know, help solve a business problem. And originally I wanted to do uh, something in healthcare and I did five kind of months of research around that. And some of my mentors kind of sat me down and said, hey, healthcare is really hard. For the first one, why don't you do something a little easier? So I switched to content marketing because it is MarTech, so it is you know was sort of easier to show value, but um, but the content side was education, and so Market Muse essentially we working I worked with a scientist Richard Mala, and we invented a way of optimizing articles uh, for improved kind of comprehensibility, uh, improved you know for more kind of information or topic topical relevance. Uh, and that turned out to be the most impactful way to optimize articles for SEO, for search engines. And so we built an engine around that, and, and that created a whole wave of SEO optimization around topics and relevance. And that created a kind of a niche industry and, and just, just changed SEO. Uh, so, so that was the first company. I built that for eight, over eight years. We raised $50 million in funding over the years. We have over 30,000 users. Uh, that have registered. Uh, we have over 150, 200, you know, larger customers. Uh, so, so that was that. And then, after actually about a year ago, I, I stepped back from that. We had uh, promoted a CEO, Charles uh, Fredenborg, internally, and I was just able to think of new products. So I started my second company, DLC Link, which is focused on building Bitcoin escrow, where the that lets the user basically use the Bitcoin in their wallet 
and they get to lock it and use it for applications like lending or trading or whatever you know, financial applications they might want to do bidding for NFTs. But but the, the key is because the Bitcoin is locked in escrow, you don't have to actually send it to a custodian. So, you know, unlike every other solution, uh, the only way to use Bitcoin right now in, in DeFi and in, in decentralized finance is you have to send it to a custodian and you kind of hope that they don't blow up or they don't get hacked. But if you lock the collateral in your wallet, it, it it's just it's you know it, it's self custodied, which is kind of the goal and the promise of Bitcoin is to give you control over your own future. So that's what we're building now. Well, that sounds great. And I've read that entrepreneurship. You talked about you know several of your mentors sat you down. Uh, they knew you wanted to start something. So entrepreneurship was something that always interested you. And I would say that your journey and that that of your parents was in itself entrepreneurial. You moved from one part of the world to the polar opposite. Uh, you left Hungary when you were just five years old. Tell us a little bit about why you, your family decided to make that journey and what that journey was like. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I was five when we moved. Uh, so I, my parents kind of shielded me from some of the, you know, those initial impacts, but essentially my father was a uh, research professor uh, in in chemistry, chemical technology, my mother was completing her PhD in in Hungarian and Russian lit uh, literature and uh, and pedagogy. So she had you know combined degrees, and um, and it was just a tough time uh, in in 1990 91, um, especially uh, teachers or educators or researchers. Just, just was not a lot of you know grant funding to go around. My father couldn't do his research because the the university could not afford the reagents for his work. So um, it just was a tough time. There was we were wearing a lot of hand-me-down clothing. I think that broke my mother's heart. And so we decided to come out to the U.S. for two years. My father got a, a initial kind of job in Lowell, Massachusetts at UMass UMass Lowell. And uh, yeah, we moved. He moved in 1990. You know, two suitcases, 50 bucks. Lived in an attic for a while uh, to save on rent. And then in '91, the three of us, my brother and my mom and I, joined her, uh, joined him. And uh, and you know, we just we didn't speak English, but you know, we were delivering phone books in kind of the Groton Mass area um, as a kid. Uh, you know, we were just doing whatever jobs to to make ends meet, and and that's how we got started. Uh, and and whether it was that or something genetic, but um, I started building kind of businesses and I started new projects, you know, early on. Um, by the time I started Market Muse, I, I had founded about seven different things: um, a, a computer repair company with my friends at fifteen, a um, a, a European conference series uh, at University of Michigan that we ran for three years, uh, a, a tech club for. Um, Michigan Business School undergrads and just a bunch of different kind of projects. So I've always been just trying to find new opportunity. Um, but Market Muse was the first tech company where I actually, you know, we're actually just 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 wanted to create something new. So the only thing you haven't done so far is deliver newspapers. Uh, <laughs> I've I've delivered I, I delivered newspapers at thirteen. That was my first paid job. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, in in Lowell area. So I, that's funny. I forgot to mention that. <laughs> <laughs> and just to be clear, your your family was escaping. You know, Hungary was a communist nation up until end of the the eighties, right? Y yes, yes. The the implementation of communism was a little different in Hungary. Is like a little bit more like. 
uh, it was a different type than they had in Russia, but it was just yeah, it was part of that Soviet bloc. And arguably, things aren't much different right now, right? It's a tough time in Hungary right now. Their currency is devalued that um, they've pretty much pissed off the EU <laughs> in every way possible. There's no free press. So, yeah, it's a it's a tough. Yeah, there's a lot of structural change that needs to happen. So you mentioned that, that you started one one of your early businesses when you were 15. Something else happened when you were 15. So your trajectory on the whole is not entirely normal or orthodox, but your educational trajectory was also unorthodox. How did you end up in community college at age 15? Yeah, yeah. Um, I. It wasn't my invention. It was a great opportunity that we saw when we lived in Ann Arbor, Michigan. There's a, a college called Washtenaw Technical Middle College, WTMC. And basically, a, a group of people set that up to take high school students, you could you, you could not apply as a freshman, but as a sophomore, uh, you could uh, you could apply. And they basically took the state funding for uh, high school and applied it to college courses. So I became a full-time Washtenaw community college student in my sophomore year. I just had one high school class. They wanted to keep an eye on me, make sure that I'm, you know, I'm able to perform. But, but from then on, I had WCC classes. And over the next, you know, three years, I pursued a degree, in, an associate's degree in business computer programming. Um, I All of those college courses also counted as high school credit. And I graduated uh, with that degree, received a diploma, a high school diploma. And I, I was actually selected to be the graduating speaker at the community college. Uh, so I spoke to an audience of like 4,000 college students at a, as an 18-year-old. So it was a, quite, quite a, you know, an experience. So to walk us through the beginnings of Market Muse, you said you were going to try something in healthcare, then you decided to focus on this. Uh, what problem was it that you wanted to solve and what were those first few years like? Yeah, we basically um, wanted to create an AI engine that analyzes all of the articles on the web and shows writers how to write comprehensively to cover a topic. So if you want to talk about XYZ topic, you know, what are the facets of that you should cover in your content just to write more well-informed articles? And, and the, the net result would have been or is um, creating more informed content that uses all of the knowledge of humanity that has been written down on the web. If we analyze all the knowledge, you know, thousands or tens of thousands of articles on each topic, you know, we're going to create more rich content, which will then just have a multiplier effect on the amount of knowledge that, you know, is, is on the web and, you know, also better, you know, make it better able to train AI uh, systems in the future to interpret that and so on. And so we just wanted to make the, the quality of content better. And, and the first step to that was actually we could, for the first time, we could measure the quality of content with a numerical score. Because, you know, let's say the engine reads 5,000 articles in 30 seconds, gives you an outline, and there are things you've mentioned in the outline, there are things you have not mentioned. We can basically say, all right, out of 100 points, you know, right now your quality score is 50, and you can, you know, by adding these other pieces to it, you can improve the score. So that made it easy to follow, uh, and that had just a lot of implications and kind of uh, interesting aspects as well, but we wanted to make the quality of content measurable and improvable. I see. But the first few years must have been a little bit rocky. And I remember you saying that, you know, it's it's better if you start out with not with the whole big clump of money, but with less. 
that it sort of keeps you agile, right? Yes, it was hard. It was very hard for a lot of reasons. I was also hard on myself. Uh, I try to be kinder to myself these days as a 37-year-old, but as hard on myself, I wanted to really figure this out. I wanted to create something new that also has a business around it. And, uh, and actually, the first two years, I also wanted to just really learn how to code, you know, better than I, I, at that point, I had not coded for six, seven years, because my consulting and venture stuff, I, I just was away from software dev. So I just sat down and I learned Python, and then I learned Scala and Go and, you know, uh, front end design and Ruby and Angular and just all the kind of languages that were used today. And then I built systems that I learned how to build systems that were, you know, concurrent and and uh, you could you know could do handle a lot of network I/O or handle a lot of kind of you know load and and so I just wanted to do that by hand. So I did that for like a year and a half in my apartment, just kind of coding six days a week, you know, three shifts a day. Uh, so there's a morning shift, then lunch, then afternoon shift, then a nap, then an evening shift till two a.m. Uh, you know, Monday through Saturday. I mean, Saturday was a lighter day, but um, and and I did it. it as a very creative, but very hard. You know, we didn't have any money. I was living off of unemployment. But when my the last startup that I was at went under, um, it wasn't uh, one that I started. But I was working for the CEO for two years of a of a database company. Um, when that went under, the you know I was out of a job, which was sort of for me by design. But you know, still unemployment doesn't get you super far. That's a real steep learning curve. And you rattled off all of those languages. I don't know any of them. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I also, you, you mentioned that it was hard for you emotionally as well. And you wanted to, you, you try to be kinder to yourself. And I read that you said 50% of, start, of a startup is emotional control. What yes. do you mean by that? Yes. Uh, startups are a bunch of ups and downs that are wild swings that I never experienced when I had a, a company job uh, or, or was in school. You know, you will literally have, you know, uh, events that look like you're about to die as a company and events that you look like you're going to be super successful. And you're really just kind of uh, kind of doing this oscillation around kind of a, you know, a fairly kind of, you know, flat to up trajectory over 10 years. But it feels like a roller coaster. So your new company is also seems to be a bit of a first in its field. Uh, what, where are you with it? Yeah. So early days, we're seven people. Um, we have some. We have about fifteen initial pilots. We have our first prototype coming out this quarter. We've been working on this idea for about seven months. Um, raised close to a million in funding. Um, in a tough bear market in crypto uh, early on, um, I would say the connecting kind of piece is that we're taking new IP that was developed. Uh, this IP was actually developed at MIT four years ago, and we're applying it. We're commercializing it and and finding the applications and and getting it to the you know the, where it needs to go. Uh, so it's moving a lot faster on on every front. Like instead of you know learning how to code the language, um, I was able to you know jump in both feet. Um, I was able to find my CTO very early on, right at the outset. Versus you know four years later, we were able to raise some initial funding within the first six months, not within the you know two three years from start um, for like pre seed funding. Um, you know, we have we have, like I said, over a dozen pilots. So um, it's just a lot faster. We have a lot better partnerships. 
And the crypto community has been super supportive. They're very interested in the idea of letting people own their own future and letting people use their Bitcoin in for non-custodial ways, which is kind of like the big rallying cry in crypto is like you need to own what you own and and not just trust you know other entities to have your best interest at heart. So one of the really important things that you do, you just mentioned Hungary, is that you've been mentoring budding entrepreneurs in Hungary, your home country. Uh, why do you do this and what has the experience been like? For Hungarians, I feel like people like me have a responsibility to give back because we've seen people have seen Hungary and another country like the US uh, and have I have been fortunate to be able to travel. I've been to over 40 countries. So, you know, I have perspectives that I can kind of translate or maybe I come across as more credible to a Hungarian uh, entrepreneur audience. And the thing about Hungary is there's tremendously hardworking, smart people there. They just don't have the natural access to the networks in New York and San Francisco and things that we enjoy, Boston, you know, things that we enjoy here. And so sometimes it's as easy as just making a connection. Um, I'll give you a quick example. Um, last year, I connected a Hungarian developer, a friend of mine who runs a dev shop, tremendously talented. I connected him to a friend of mine here in New York and when the El Salvador, uh, El Salvador was adopting Bitcoin and they needed a new Bitcoin wallet, my friend actually won that job and went to El Salvador and with his team built the Bitcoin wallet. You talk about this diversity of your teams, they're located all over the place, your brothers on the other side of the world, you now have a Hungarian office. Not all Americans will agree that a diversity of thought is a good thing. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure all Hungarians would agree that, unfortunately, given the uh, immigration and the attitudes toward LGBT, the, the government's showcase right now, um, I'm not sure that a majority, a majority of people don't even have to agree, but it's still the right thing to do. You know, it's the right thing to do to have different, um, you know, people, different backgrounds, races, ethnicities, genders, you know, whatever, um, you know, and, and, and diversity of thought, you know, it really encompasses like not just racial diversity, although that is a, you know, it's an important part of it, um, especially as the company grows, we, we end up, you know, in the beginning, we're just looking for specific technical talent. So we don't even, you know, need to know what somebody really, and especially in the crypto landscape, you don't even know somebody's name. They're just an anonymous, have an anonymous identifier and you can work with them and they can even get funded that way, which is, which is pretty cool. Um, but the diversity of thought does show through and, and we, in order to build a company, we need people with, you know, analytical dev skills like me or, or um, you know, marketing skills, the ability to explain things to a large group of people, the ability to visualize things like a designer and, and describe it in, you know, visually in a simple way. Um, I mean, there's there are people who kind of love breaking new ground. There are people who love kind of organizing existing operations and making sure things are running smoothly and not falling through the cracks. So it really does take a, a, a large group of of people. And that is literally, that's one thing I love about startups, that literally the only way it will work if, you know, if everybody is represented. Uh, there was one story of a company, uh, I don't know, 10 plus years ago that only wanted to hire Princeton graduates. And it did not work out super well because 
you know, just because someone went to a particular school, that's not the best way to, you know, look at, you know, it, it was not a diverse group in, in many ways they were correlated uh, or they, they were prone to groupthink. And, you know, the only way to create a, a high-performing team is to have the different views, have openness, have radical kind of transparency, radical candor, and allow people to express their views and explore things and, and, and you know, make their viewpoint known and respected. And, and that's, you know, 100%, you know, where, what we are looking to do. That was very, very well said. Thank you for that, Aki. Thank you so much for joining us in this podcast, uh, Aki. And thank you for all the jobs that you've created over the years, all the technology that you've created, and your com- your commitment to entrepreneurship across continents. Thank you for all that. Hey, thank you for t- taking the time to, to walk me in. Thanks for the listeners. Uh, yeah, I'm just looking to create more. So, you know, I hope I can do do more faster over the, you know, the rest of, through the rest of my life, really. Aki Balog, uh, immigrant from Hungary, co-founder and president of Market Muse and co-founder and CEO of DLC Link. Thank you for joining us on the JobMakers podcast. Thanks for having me. JobMakers is a weekly podcast about immigrant entrepreneurship and contribution produced by Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston, and the Immigrant Learning Center in Malden, Massachusetts, a not-for-profit that gives immigrants a voice. Thank you for joining us for this week's compelling story of one incredible immigrant entrepreneur. If you know an outstanding immigrant business owner or innovator we should talk to, please email Denzil, that's D-E-N-Z-I-L, at jobmakerspodcast.org. I'm Denzel Mohammed. See you next Thursday at noon for another Jobmakers.